Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. It's real encouraging to be with each and every one of you. Especially, that's one thing we really need, especially in these times, is encouragement, prayer, and love for each other. I've heard people say that it seems like a lot of people are being more nicer or more kinder nowadays that all this is going on, you know. And of course, they weren't talking about people in the toilet paper aisle at Walmart, but... Uh, <laughs> But in general, everybody seems to be doing a lot nicer. And it kind of makes you wonder, why couldn't we just be nicer? Why does it take, you know, a tragedy? And we're looking back over the years and all, we've seen that when we have tragedies, when everybody comes together, 9-11, and uh, hurricanes coming through and everything, it's when we all, but we need to just show our love one for another. I was, uh, you know, got a couple texts, different things, asking if churches were open today. Told them I didn't close churches. That, uh, that is for, you know, the people to use. We all have, good Lord, give us common sense. And uh, as Brother Clay had pointed out, there is a scripture and all where isolation has been uh, deemed necessary and all. But I tell them, uh, I didn't isolate myself from my workplace. I didn't isolate myself from going to Walmart and other shopping, so I'm sure not going to isolate myself from coming to the Lord's house. Because that's where we need to be when, when you're feeling sick, when you're feeling fear, feeling danger. What do we do? We go to God in prayer. So let's. And it's it's so easy for the devil to use something like this to uh, have an excuse not to go to uh, to worship. And I'm not condemning. But uh, having an excuse, it's so easy to, well, I didn't go last week, so this week would be all right. Well, I didn't go last two weeks, so it'd be all right. You know, and it's, it'd be so easy for the devil to work it into us. So I praise each and every one of you for it. But Brother Clay had said something a couple of times in his lesson. It kind of got me thinking. Now, when you hear that, we usually say, well, it's some scripture he referred to. Well, this time it's not. He talked about going out on the boat and talking to his kids and all. And he talked about, you know, uh, how when they go off into the coast, now he got a kind of a captive audience and all. So this morning I'm talking with you. I'm reading an article by uh, the Hiram Kemp. And it, it kind of got me thinking back to a brother Clay talking about this, uh, I think he called it with a 32-foot contender with the, the twin Yamahas on the back. So it got me thinking. Many fathers, I'm sure a lot of us, have taken their children out on a boat to fish and enjoy some time together. Now there's it's just something common about being out on the water, away from the stress and the problems of daily life. We went out, me and Marsha went out to eat the other night. Skippers and a couple come in off the boat and they were from Virginia, but they they sailed their boat from uh, Myrtle Beach and go all different places and all. And they had stopped in to eat. And they were talking about how, how calm it was and everything it was to be out there with, you know, nothing, all this uh, worrying and all. You're really isolated when you're out on the boat, especially offshore. But if one climbs into a boat or a ship and pushes off on land, there's time for enjoyable conversation. Memories are made and lessons learned. 
Throughout scripture, God gave his people lessons from individuals on ships. In both the Old and the New Testament, major Bible lessons are taught from ships that God dealt with sin, with worry, with faith, and discipleship. This morning, I'd like for us to take a look at a couple of these lessons, uh, some that we can learn uh, from ships in uh, Scripture. First of all, and I'm sure the first one that comes to our mind, we talk about learning lessons and all, God punishes sin and extends grace. What I'm talking about here is how the wickedness of man increased in the earth during the days of Noah. God decided to cleanse the world with a global uh, flood. We see that in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 13 where he talks about how wicked the world had gotten to where he had to send this flood. So over in Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 uh, through 13 when it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And then we see in verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He was going to punish the, the rampant evil that was taking place and start all over again with a new family. Now, as God was planning to destroy the wicked, he was not going to punish the righteous as well. In other words, God does not punish the righteousness for the deeds of the wicked. We see that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We also see here that Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 6. Now the first ship in scripture shows us that God will punish evil, but he also extends grace. It's interesting to observe the same Hebrew word used for ark in the account of Noah is the same word used for the basket in which Moses' mother placed him in during the days of the Exodus in Exodus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. The deliverance of God's people from the Egyptian bondage began with an ark, just like the one God used to deliver the, the, the people of the world from the world of unrighteousness and the days of Noah. That was something that kind of, it just caught me by surprise when I was sitting there reading, was right straight and I told Marsha, you know, when we hear the word ark, we think of that big old ship that, that Noah used to all this, but it meant the same thing when they were talking about just a little straw basket that they were saying, but God promised that disobedience would be punished, and he kept his promises in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Now throughout scripture, we are given small glimpses into the wrath of God, and he's punished different generations for their sin. Yet in all of the punishment about which 
we read, we should remember that our God is also a God of grace. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. God will do the right thing and rescue the righteous in times of trouble. I know with all this going on, with this epidemic and everything, with the coronavirus and all, we, as I tell people when, in our meetings and all, when we're discussing how we're going to do it, it's uncharted waters to us. And never been through it. And all, so we're going to have to do it and go through it by the best we can, but we're going to have to go through it with our faith in God. We're going to have to go through it praying continuously. You know, we shouldn't pray continuously just when we need... When we're in some kind of trials and tribulation, we need to pray to God continuously. Even in the happy times, the good times and all. Oh, but see, as it says here, that God would do the right thing and rescue the righteous in times of trouble. Now, while the righteous was hard to find in the day preceding the world uh, when uh, all this evil was upon the earth and all, Noah still found grace in God's eye. God is always looking to extend grace towards his people. We learned this as Noah built the ark and was remembered and rescued by uh, God. Genesis chapter 8 verse 1. Now another thing we find out from our lesson dealing with ships and all is you can't, you can ruin, but you can't hide. Now who comes to mind on that one? <coughs> Though the Assyrians were the enemies of Israel during the days of Jonah. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. He told him to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of Syria, to preach to those individuals. That's in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Jonah was sent to cry out against the wickedness of the city. He was sent to, to go out and to preach uh, God's word to them, to help them learn from their, uh, well from their wicked ways and turn to God. But instead of Jonah going and preaching to these people and talking to them about the Lord, he boarded a ship and tried to run in the opposite direction, according to Jonah 1 and 3. Now, of course, Jonah's attempt to escape God's presence was a futile. He couldn't do it. God is everywhere at all times. God sees everything, and he knows everything. We can go as deep or as high on earth as we choose. God's still there. Psalms 139. Psalms 139 verses 7 through 11. When it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell... Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the seas, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. God is everywhere. The Lord sent out a great wind to get Jonah's attention and to get him to see the error of his way. We see in Jonah 1 and 4. Now Jonah's shipmates cast lots. And they came to understand that the danger they were in was because of Jonah. Jonah called for his shipmates to throw him overboard. And 
when they did that, the sea calmed. Jonah 1, 11 and 15. Now can you imagine what went through the minds of all the people, the shipmates on that ship when this storm was so bad that they're probably thinking that they're not going to make it off from it. I think back to the, to the movie, the, the Great Storm. How you had all these storms, a couple of storms coming in around this boat and the people were sitting there talking about it. They knew they wasn't going to get off from it. By the time they threw Jonah overboard, it calmed out. That, I'm sure, got their attention. It shows you right there, God is in control of everything, everywhere. Now, Jonah thought that he could run from the Lord, but he was wrong. The same thing of each and every one of us. We think that we can turn our back and run from the Lord. But we're going to realize, and hopefully we realize before it's too late, that we were wrong. Many pagan gods in the Old Testament are believed to have special ability on land or sea. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23 and 28. Now the God of Israel was never to be seen as being more powerful on one type of surface versus another. He was just as knowledgeable about affairs on the land as it was about the things taking place on the sea. All things are naked and open before him, Hebrews 4 and 13. Now we, like Jonah, may think that we can do things of which God is unaware of. But we have to learn from Jonah's ship that we cannot do anything without God being aware of it. If we are committing the little secret sins, Psalms chapter 90, verse 8. I'm going to turn over right quick. Psalms chapter 90, verse 8. When he talked about it, he said that Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, and the light of thy countenance. See, God even knows about the little secret sins. We should be reminded that nothing is a secret before God. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. If we are doing what is right, we should remember that God sees this as well. And he will reward us openly. Matthew chapter 6, verses, verse 4, and also Matthew chapter 6. I mean, uh, verse 6. When we read the account of Jonah, we learn that no matter where we run in this world, God still reigns there. God is still in control. Don't matter if it's daylight, dark, rainy, or sunny. Another lesson that we learn from ships in Scripture is, and this is something that we really need to take heart and think about in the times that we're in today. Peace is provided in parallel times. Once Jesus was on board a ship with his disciples, and there was a great tempest in the sea, the sea was covered with waves, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 and 24. But as Jesus slept, I'm going to turn right quick to Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 
and 24. When talking about, I'm sure we all know this story. We've studied it a couple of times. But it just shows us how there is peace. No matter how great the storm is, there is peace if we have God involved with it. We see in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 and 24, And when he had entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, and so much that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then on down in verse 25, said his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. That's what we got to do today. Instead of getting fear in our hearts, letting fear control us, letting fear make our choices for us, we need to pray and ask God, God, save us. That is the only way that we're going to get through whatever we're going to go through. And by asking God for help and putting our faith in God and allowing Him. We need to say the same thing, when we, whether it's this coronavirus fear or whether it's fear of, of whatever, someone shooting you or whatever your fear may be. We need to say the same thing that said right here in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 8. And his disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We perish because when we got we allow sin to come in and take control of our life. We allow any kind of fear to come in and take control of our life, and we will perish. But anyway, we see how Jesus slept. His disciples woke him and begged him to save them, as they believed they were about to perish. And we just read verse twenty-five. Now the word translated "perish" means to suffer destruction or to be ruined. Second Peter chapter three, <coughs> verse nine. Now Jesus awoke and he challenged their faith. Did they really believe that he would allow them to perish in his presence? He then rebuked the winds and there was a great calm. Then there was great astonishment among those who saw what took place. Matthew 8, chapter 20, uh, verse 26 and 27. When it said that he, and he said unto them, why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Same thing in our hearts. If we were praying, let God take control of our thoughts and our worries and our fears, there will be peace in our hearts. But the men marvel, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? If the winds and the sea obey him, why shouldn't we? Jesus taught us from the ship that when we think God is unconcerned or unaware of our circumstances, we're wrong. God pays attention. He watches over his people. We just need to trust him. The disciples showed their faith was still in a stage of infancy at this time of prayer because them to doubt and despair. Trials make us stronger if we allow them to do so. Romans chapter 5 verses 2 through 5, also James 1, 2 and 4. That's Romans chapter 5, verses 2 and 5, James 1, 2 through 4. Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea, giving his disciples peace in the midst of danger. We should remove worry from our hearts, replace it with prayer, knowing that Jesus provides peace for us today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do you think that God allowed his son to be crucified on the cross to get forgiveness of our sins. It's going to let us perish 
and something like this. God loves us too much. Another lesson I want us to learn here this morning to look at is shine your light even in the dark. Be happy. Show your love for God even when, when you're fearful. After Paul appealed to Caesar before Governor Festus, he was on his way to Rome, Acts 25 and 11. Paul found himself on a ship with 276 other passengers and, and many, if not all of them, we're non-Christians, Acts 27 and 37. Now, while on the ship, Paul took every opportunity to let his light shine. He warned them of the impending shipwreck that had been revealed to him by the Lord, Acts 27, 9 and 10. Also, Acts 20, uh, 27, 21, 24. Now, Paul encouraged those who had not eaten in 14 days to eat something, and he prayed for food, Acts 27, 33, 36. Paul spoke confidently in his faith in God and how God had revealed to him the coming destruction of the ship. Now, although he would save all the human lives aboard it, Acts 27 and 15, that on this ship, the apostles taught that we might find ourselves surrounded by faithless people. But we can still have faith. In fact, we must have faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us that we must have faith. <clears throat> we should pray openly. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6 tells us that. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Key words here is without faith it is impossible to please God. And says that we must believe in God that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's not talking about ones that use God as a spare tire only when you need him. He's talking about someone who uses and prays to God diligently. We should pray openly. Speak, speak free, freely about God. Help others and shine our light according to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. I'll flip over right quick to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verses 13 and 16, where it's telling us all this, what we're supposed to, to pray openly and without... Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of man. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. If we go out and we confess that we are children of God, that we're Christian, and then we sit back and we tremble and we fear of everything, people around us are going to say, uh, what about this God you said is going to protect you? We need to pray openly. 
Paul did this and he stood out from the crowd and found favor in the eyes. Acts 27 and 43. Now in closing. The Bible speaks often about ships and journeys taken. There are many lessons to learn as we just read some of these accounts. We should see ourselves in those various accounts. Seek to avoid the mistakes that many individuals made. These things were written for our learning, according to Romans 15 and 4. Let us be wise enough to learn God's word and meaning. This morning, if you have stepped out of God's way or if you have a need, be baptized, be baptized, but if you stepped out of God's way and you need the prayers, the encouragement of the congregation, whatever need may be, we ask you to come forward this time we stand and sing our song of invitation.